0: Well, so far in this series, we've talked about grief, and we've talked about how at some point in life we're all going to face it, whether it's the death of a loved one, uh, the loss of opportunities in life, the ending of a season of life. Uh, there's so many ways that grief can come into our lives, and, and it's something that we, I think, as churches, often we don't talk about a lot. And I felt like we needed to spend some time dealing with this issue, and so that's where we started at. Then we talked about the uh, the words that Paul wrote to a church that didn't really understand what was going on, that people had been dying. And they said, but Jesus is coming back, but they're gone. What's going to happen? And and, and we were reminded there that when the day comes, when the day that Jesus comes back, He is going to bring those who have died in the Lord and those of us who are alive in the Lord, and we will all meet Him uh, at the throne of God. And we're looking forward to that day. I don't know about you. Some days I kind of go, could it be today? Usually it's when all the bills show up. Could it be today? He could come back. Then last week, we met in the dark. That was an experience. Y'all look better today than you did last week. I can tell you that. But we talked about the unfailing character of the Father and how that psalm written by Asaph had reminded us that he had been drawn into the trap of looking around the world and going, man, look how the world's got it. They've got it good. They've got it good. He goes, wait, wait, wait. But I know God. And as we know God, then we are able to deal with grief and trial and struggles and issues in life and get through those things. This morning I want to turn to a passage in the book of John, the Gospel of John, written by John the beloved apostle. John was probably the youngest apostle. He's the one that lived the longest for sure. Uh, but he, uh, the, the setting to which we find this passage is just a few hours before Jesus is arrested and put on trial and then crucified. And of course we know what happened on the third day. He rose from the dead. But this is just before all of that happens. And Jesus is talking to his disciples, and he actually talks about grief, which I find fascinating because Jesus is a man acquainted with sorrows and knows grief in his life. And so he talks about this in this passage. So what I want to do is I'll walk you through the passage, and then I've got a couple thoughts I want to apply it, and then we'll go out and enjoy the heat and the humidity again. Some of you are going, can we stay a little longer? Yeah, we can. It's all right. First of all, I want you to see in verse 16 this. Jesus says to his disciples, a strange little sentence. He says, a little while and you will see me no longer. And again, a little while... And you will see me. Now, i got to tell you, if I were sitting there listening to Jesus say that, and I was a disciple of Jesus at the time, and I had a mindset that the people of that day had, this would have sounded very, very cryptic. It would have sounded very confusing. It would have sounded strange. What are you talking about? A little while, you... You will no longer, I won't see me. And in a little while you're going to say, what are you talking about? It would be my thought. This is the last day, I believe, maybe day before. But Jesus is going to go through all of the things that he's going to have. The followers are going to be experience some serious grief. And they don't even know it's coming yet. They have a mindset in the first century Jews, had a mindset that said this. When the Messiah comes, he's going to be a conquering king. He's going to be a ruler. He's going to reestablish our nation. He's going to wipe these nasty Romans out of here and he's going to clean up the mess and we're going to be a people again like we were before uh, the, the captivity and the exile that happened. So they've got this in their minds. So when he says this to them, they're going, what? And the thought of him dying was like the farthest thing from their minds. They're going, what in the world are you talking about? You can't die. You're going to be a conquering king. You can't go away. You've got to lead us in our battle. You've got to go through this with us. But Jesus had told them more than once of what was coming. It's kind of like us men with our wives sometimes. They tell us what's coming and we we, we don't hear it, right? And I found that sometimes I tell a wife my wife some things, that she doesn't hear it. We, we do that in life, don't we? we? We sometimes don't hear all the details, or sometimes we don't want to hear the details. I think that's some of what's going on here. Jesus tells them this. A little while, you will no longer see me. Then a little while longer, you're going to see me. And they're confused. But what he's talking about is plain, if you've been listening to Jesus for the last three years, he's talking about his death, his burial, his resurrection. He says, here's what's coming. You're about to face grief. You're about to face hardship. You're about to face a difficult season. He says, you need to be looking for it he's talking about these things he's telling these things so they understand it but it all sounds cryptic to them it makes no sense to them even though they're going to face grief so let's look at verse 17 and see what the disciples do because this sounds like well me sometimes and maybe you sometimes so some of his disciples said not to Jesus catch this but to who to one another doesn't that sound like us We talk to each other about things. We talk about things. Why why do we talk about this? We talk to one another. What is this that he says to us? A little while and you will not see me. And again, a little while you will see me. And because I'm going to the Father. So they're saying, what does he mean by a little while? We don't know what he's talking about. Notice they didn't ask the one who can answer the question. They ask each other. It's amazing how we like to pool our ignorance, right? and try to come up with a solution. But that's what they did and that's what we do sometimes. They don't talk to Jesus. They understood the words. They understood what that word meant, but they're going, we don't understand the meaning of what you're saying here. In so many ways they're trapped by their 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 heritage, by their cultural milieu. They're tr- trusted in their uh, trapped in their preconceived beliefs about who Messiah would be. I don't know about you, but I get those expectations sometimes, don't you? You go, this is what's going to happen. And you get there and what happens? Not that. And it throws us off, right? And sometimes that event can cause us to have grief, can have us to struggle in life, trying to figure out how we're going to work through this. I, I spent the last couple of days with my daughter, as y'all know, she graduated this year and she looking she got a job at, at, at the Purple Evil Empire in Fort Worth, which is hard for us to accept, but it's a good job, and so she's enjoying it. She may work on her master's degree. She's trying to find a place to live. If you haven't gone rent shopping, apartment shopping, oh my goodness, with my eyes open. The costs and the, the, the conditions and the places that people offer to live, the struggle, the confusion. She had an expectation of what was going to happen. Right now, expectations aren't being met. We deal with that in life, don't we? We struggle with that in life. And they understand that people don't just disappear and reappear. When people disappear, it usually means they've died and they're gone and they're not coming back. These disciples are struggling with this. They can't wrap their minds around this. He's told them he's going to die for the sins of the world, but they don't get it, what he's talking about. This doesn't make sense. They, like us, wrestle with confusion, struggle with confusion. And it causes grief in our lives sometimes. They can't get what he's talking about. So look at verse 19. I love Jesus. Well, that's a good statement for a pastor to say, isn't it? I think we ought to say that all the time, right? I love Jesus. But anyway, I love when Jesus is in a situation like this, and you you see what's going on, and the disciples are doing this thing, and Jesus goes, I know what y'all are thinking. And you're going, well, yeah, he does. He's Jesus, right? Jesus knew what they wanted to ask him. He reveals in this moment his divinity, Matched with his humanity. I just, I just love that, that juxtaposition here. So Jesus knew what they wanted to ask him. So he said to them, I love that Jesus is also very direct at times. He just goes to the point and said, is this what you're asking yourselves? What I meant by saying a little while and you will not see me. And again, a little while and you will see me. Truly, truly, verily, verily, as the King James would have translated, I say to you, you will weep and lament. You're going to have grief. You're going to struggle. You're going to cry. You're going to be upset. But the world is going to what? Rejoice. You will be sorrowful. But your sorrow will turn into joy. Here we see the divine nature of Jesus step into the moment and look into their hearts and see the confusion in their hearts and hear the questions that they're raising in their minds. I, I, I don't know how it works and how it did this, but Jesus sensed their hearts. He sensed what was going on them. He's going to be gone for a season and the world is going to think what? Hey, we won. The Pharisees are going to go, Hey, we got rid of that rabble rouser. Hey, we got rid of that, that prophet from that backwater town up in the northern part of our country. Hey, we got rid of him. He's gone. The Romans are going to think, man, we got that thing out of the way we're not going to have problems with this 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 religious rebellion that he was trying to get going over here. We don't like that in our culture. We're glad that's gone. And they all believe what? When Jesus died on the cross, the Romans and the Jewish leaders both thought this. We won. We won. And that that victory by them caused grief in the lives of his followers it's the hardest thing to watch your enemies and you know what i mean that the the broadest sense when i say that when they rejoice over your struggles when they get excited when you're struggling with issues they go well oh, this is good we we win we win and it causes grief in their lives But Jesus wants them to understand this. Even though they don't understand the words, even though they don't understand what He has said to them, even though He knows what they're thinking, He says, "I, I don't understand where you're at. The promise remains. What? Their sorrow would be turned into what? Into joy. And would it happen right now? No. It was going to take some time. Was it going to happen tomorrow? No. Was it going to happen the next day? No. But the third day, baby, was coming, right? He's coming back alive. They needed to understand that this is a bigger picture issue than they're getting at this point, though they're still struggling with grief. The heartbreak, heartbreak would turn to rejoicing, and the trials of the next few days would become amazing joy, but in the moment, they're struggling with the grief and the trials. Jesus is sensing them. And then Jesus does something that is so Middle Eastern, and you're going, what do you mean? Culturally relevant to them. He speaks to them a parable. He speaks to them a parable. Now, you know Jesus loved to teach them parables. You know why, don't you? Because we're all kind of thick-headed and slow as humans. You're going, is that too blunt, too direct? That's what it is. That's why he used those so that we could understand what he's talking about in a way that was relevant to us at our understanding level. And so Jesus speaks a brief parable. And I, I find it interesting the one he chooses to use. He's talking to 12 guys, his disciples, and he talks about a woman in childbirth. And you're going, those guys don't understand what childbirth is like. No, but they understand the mechanics. They understand the emotion. They understand the pain. They get it. So look at the parable. When a woman is giving birth, she has what? Sorrow. Sorrow. Those of you ladies who have gone through childbirth, you're going, I'm glad it's over. It was hard. It was painful. It was difficult. It was sorrowful. Right? I got to be in the room for all three of them. It was all my fault, of course. But I got to be there with her to hold her hand, to be the second one to hold the new baby born to our family. When a woman is giving birth, she has sorrow for her hour. And ladies, an hour. An hour? Any, any of you going to take that one? We did it an hour? I, I will. If Heather's gone to see her mom this week. But our third one was about two hours. Okay? And then that's something to do with physiology and changes. And the more you have, the easier it is and all that kind of stuff. But it wasn't An hour? Because her hour has come. But when she has delivered the baby, what happens, ladies? You know, and men, we don't understand the emotion and the feeling because we don't experience it personally, but we see it and we understand, and the disciples get it. She no longer remembers the anguish. Now, that, that's a little hyperbole there because you still remember it, right? But it's gone. Why? Because you're holding a baby. Not a baby. You're holding what? your baby. Okay. So she no longer remembers the anguish for joy that a human being has been born into the world. So he uses this parable to help them understand it. Now, childbirth is not unexpected, ladies. If you're pregnant and you've been pregnant for, oh, nine or so months, you know what's coming, right? And you're all ready for it. Nope. Not at least in my experience with my family. You think you know what's going to go on, and you think you know how it's going to be until you get in the middle of it, and you go, go get the drugs. I remember after Heather had been in labor 23 hours with Sarah. She's always been trouble. 23 hours. She goes, I'm ready for the epidural. And I said, okay. And I reached down to press the button to call the nurse. She goes, no, you go get the nurse. I said, yes, ma'am. And I went out the door. You know what's coming, but you don't know what's coming, right? That's what these guys are dealing with. They know what's coming. They, they really don't even know what's coming. They don't get it yet. But it's gone on the way. You can't stop it. It's going to happen. And then after hours of agony and pain, the moment is comes and the child is delivered, and the pain isn't completely forgotten, but what? There's joy. How many toes have they got? Ten. Are they five on each side? Yes. How many fingers they got? Ten. Are they all in the right place? Yes. Is the head misshapen? Well, a little bit. That'll take care of itself, right? And the baby's alive. And you're going, wow. And what Jesus wants them to understand is though the next day or so is going to be painful for them. There's going to be trial. There's going to be struggle. There's going to be grief. There's going to be pain. There's joy coming. Because forgiveness is coming. Resurrection is coming. Sometimes that's not much comfort when you're in the middle of grief, though, is it? You go, man, I don't know if I can get through this. And then Jesus does this. He submits to them there's a better way. Look at verse 22. So also you have sorrow now. And they're thinking to themselves, well, we don't really have sorrow yet. We're we're getting ready to take over the world. We're getting ready to be the masters of the universe. We're going to have a new nation. They still don't get it. They still don't get it. You also have sorrow now, but I will see you again and your hearts will rejoice and no one will take your joy from you. In that day, you will ask nothing of me. Truly, truly, I say to you, whatever you ask of the Father in my name, He'll give it to you. So Jesus comes to this. He says, here's a better way. Yes, you're going to face sorrow. Yes, you're going to face trials. Yes, you're going to face hardship. Yes, you're going to face grief. You're going to face it. Why? Because it comes. Can you avoid it? No. It's not possible. It's true not only of the disciples, but of all of us who follow Jesus. And while Jesus would be taking from them in a very violent and disgusting and difficult manner, crucifixion is not a beautiful thing, okay? Jesus would rise from the third third day from the dead. It's because their joy is not going to be based on what there's going on in life. Catch this. Their joy needed to be based on who Jesus was and what he was doing for them and the accomplishments in his life. And the same thing is true for us. I don't know how many times in life I've been disappointed. I quit counting after about two years of life. You know what I'm saying? I didn't get in my way most of the time, and I never got what I wanted sometimes, and always felt like I didn't get anything, right? But we do, and God's still blessed. And what he's telling them is there's a better way forward, is to lean into his presence, to choose to be close to him, and to be obedient to him. Yes, the pain is real. But God will bring deliverance in the end. Three thoughts I want you to see. Three thoughts. Number one is this. Grief comes or arises from different sources, various sources. Often when we talk about grief, we think, oh, we're talking about death. And don't misunderstand. Death brings grief. I can't tell... I don't know of anybody in this room who hasn't had to deal with death on some level of some way. Some, it's been a parent. Some, it's been a grandparent. Some, it's been a child that's passed away. Some grief comes from the end of a season of life where the things that you've been doing for a while, you may not get to do anymore. There's grief in that. Others, it's grief from uh, not able to do what you want to do, not be able to have the things in your life that you really just, in your heart, you want the grief comes from different places. One of those is that when things don't go as quick as expected. We go, this is what's supposed to happen. But it doesn't. How do you deal with that? When, when health issues go wrong, what do you do with that? How do you, Those are stuff? Those are things that are hard, right? And we, we struggle with those. How about this? When we misunderstand God's Word, we think, okay, God, I've been reading your Word, and you're, you're telling me this, and I really believe this is what I'm supposed to do, and this is where it's going to happen, This and it doesn't. You go, but God, I thought you wanted me too. I thought you had me to do this. I thought I was supposed to be. What if it doesn't happen? Did God, fail you? No, He's just working a different way. I think the third area that we want to think about is the areas when we look around and we think, kind of like what Asaph did last week. More, well, the Lord, the world sure seems to have it better than we do. When evil wins, sometimes we find ourselves dealing with a level of grief. We think, why are they winning? Why are they getting that? Why are they accomplished? Why do they get to the do this? Why do they have this successful this? Why do they have all of these things? And we don't. I think the people around Jesus are doing the same thing. His disciples are going, well, why aren't we taking over? Why aren't we taking control? Why aren't we leading the nation? Why aren't we bringing the, 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 the nation of God back on the earth? I think the right response to these and many of these things is this. And the source of our grief is is to use the words of the psalm. Psalm 31. He said this. Be gracious to me, O Lord, for I am in what? Distress. You may be in distress this morning. I don't know. You may have been in distress for a season. You may have been struggling with health issues. You may have been struggling with fertility issues. You may be struggling with the death of a loved one. You may be dealing with hospice in your family. Be gracious to me, O Lord, for I am in distress. My eye is wasted away from grief. My soul and my body also. For my life is spent with sorrow and my years with sighing. My strength fails because of my iniquity and my bones waste away. Any of you ever feel like that? This past Thursday, sometimes I share stuff with y'all I probably shouldn't share. But this last Thursday, I was sitting at the desk at our house, balancing the checkbook or something. And it hit me that Friday was the sixth anniversary of my mom's passing. Six years. And grief came over me. And tears started to flow. And you go, why aren't you here? I'm being completely honest. Some of it's selfish, Mom. If you were here, you could take care of Dad. But some of it's also selfish because I miss her. You know, that grief comes over us, and we have to go. Lord, be gracious to me. I'm in distress. My eye is wasted from grief. My soul is heavy. My body is is aching. My life is spent with sorrow. My years with sigh. My strength fails. Lord, you know, it's okay to tell God that you're struggling. It's okay to tell Him that you're hurting. It's okay to come to God with your problems. You go, well, I'll just take care of it myself. Lord, I can't. I can't. I can't. I need God to do it. I need Him to, str- to lead me through it. We need to run to Jesus in times of trial. Streak it. Seek His graciousness. Seek His concern. Acknowledge what you're going through. Acknowledge the trial. Acknowledge the struggle. Own it. Second thing I want you to see is this: Jesus uses grief to remake us. You're probably thinking, "Well, I've already arrived. Congratulations." Most of us have it, okay. Most of us are still a work in progress. Most of us are still being worked on by God as a child as a child of God. You with me? God has to work on us, but, but he, he, He's going to use the grief in your life to remake you. Into his image. You're going, how? Grief ain't fun. I'm losing my English this morning. Grief isn't fun, okay? And if you like grief, you're going, oh, I just hope I have some grief coming in my life. That'd be just so amazing. Wouldn't it just be wonderful if I had just a real, come on, y'all with me? But God uses grief. Why? He takes us through those seasons to teach us things, to work in our lives, to change us into His image. Remember, He's speaking here about the amazing sacrifice in this passage that He's going to do for who? Point at yourself. For me. He did this for who? For me. For you. For us. He's going to the cross to remake us into His image. That's what following, following Jesus is all about. It's not about just being religious and spiritual. It's about letting Him remake us from the mess that we were into the person He wants us to become. And grief is one of the ways He does that. It's not the only way He does it, but it's one of them. Because as we go through those seasons of grief, what He allows us to do is to learn to lean into Him more. To learn to trust Him more to hang on to Him, to carry us through. Our family's facing potential grief again. Some of you know Heather's mother's situation, and, and we're struggling with that. And what do you do? But here's the cool thing that God does. Once you go through a season of grief, for whatever reason it is, loss of a loved one, loss of a job, loss of an opportunity, loss of, of, of things that you think that God has for you, He's able to then take you and let you minister to those who are in those situations. I didn't know what it was like to be a pastor to someone losing a parent until I did it. I'd gotten the grandparent thing figured out a few years ago, but it lose a parent. Some of you have lost children. I can empathize with you, but I can't sympathize with you. Some of you have lost jobs. Huh. I've never really actually lost a job, so I I can't really sympathize with you. I can empathize, I can walk with you. But the thing is, is God uses those things in our lives to help us move forward. And and, and what Jesus tells us in in, in Matthew 11 is this. He says, come to me. Come to me. Who? All who labor and are heavy laden. All of you who are dealing with grief. And I will what? Give you rest. Take my yoke on you. We talked about that a few weeks ago and learn from me for I am gentle and lowly in heart for you will find rest in your souls, for your souls. My yoke is easy and my burden is light. You go, I can handle it myself. Why do you care yourself? Jesus says I'll take care of it and it'll be easier. No, no, I'll do it. Well, who made you God? God calls us to lean into him. And let Him remake us into His image. And to transform us to something amazing. And then the third thought I want you to see, and we're probably going to finish early today. Y'all don't hold me to that every week, but this week we might. We need to learn to live with an eternal perspective. You go, what do you mean by that? In your life and in my life, I think all of us do struggle with this. We become... Focused on our life. What I'm dealing with, what I'm going through, what my kids are dealing with, what my family's dealing with. And we don't look up and see the big picture sometimes. We we miss it. We become focused on our little... We ask questions like this. How does this affect me? What is the outcome for Me? How will I feel? How am I going to deal with it? How am I going to handle it? It's, and we use a lot of eyes and knees. We, we, we just come going about us. But somehow in the process, we got to, as followers of Christ, and if you're not a follower of Christ, this is difficult, but if, as a follower of Christ, what we get to do is step back and say, okay, how can we work together to walk through this? You know, I've had somebody ask me recently, they go, well, how do you even get to know somebody in a church as big as y'all's? I go, well, I grew up in a church of a thousand. So, yeah. Did I know everybody in the church? No. Where do you find those connection points? In your small group. I'm a a big believer in small group Bible studies. Why? Not because you necessarily study the Bible that much, though you do, but you build those relationships and those connection points and support that you have in that small setting that you need. You go, well, I can get that in church. I mean, you'll have some around you that'll know you. But have you ever noticed you can, if you don't go to a small group and you don't come to church for three or four weeks, you may not have anybody notice. And it's not that we don't love you. It's that there's not really a connection made in that small setting. We need to learn to live with that eternal perspective. Over in the book of Luke, Jesus spoke to His counsel, to His disciples about what was coming And Jesus said to them, Thus it is written, Christ will suffer and on the third day rise from the dead. He had been telling that for years, three years. And that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in all his name, in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. Jesus has been talking to them about this eternal perspective, to learn to look up, to not know looking down, not to be looking in, but to be looking out, to be people who do that. And that's what I think God calls us to do. And we do that through small groups, we do that through large groups, we do that through learning to look out to the harvest and the fields around us. And having our focus not on us, but on him. And I'm not there. So maybe you're here today and you haven't met Christ. That's the place to start. Until you meet Jesus. I, I think we've all heard this statement. I don't know how people go through grief and hardship and trials without a body of believers to support them. Can you get through it without it? Probably. Will it be very effective and healthy? Maybe. Maybe not. I want to invite you this morning. If you don't know Jesus, I want to give you an opportunity to respond publicly to him. We'd love to pray with you here at the front. We'd love to go pray after service if you want to as well. But we want you to know that there's an opportunity to respond this morning to the Lord. Maybe you're here today and you've never connected to a local body of believers. Maybe you need to make your commitment to this church. It it won't save you, but it will help you grow in your faith if you are saved. Maybe you need to just say, hey, God, I need to make a response to you right here in my seat that says, I'm tired of handling all this myself. I want to trust you. You may have to pick it up again tomorrow and say, God, I trust you. You may have to get up Tuesday and say, God, I'm going to trust you today. Start today by trusting Him. Let's have a word of prayer. Father God, we thank you so much for allowing us to come together this morning to worship, to be in your house. God, we thank you for the way Jesus would use stories and parables to speak about issues in life. We thank you for the way he would be direct with his disciples. God, help us to be that way in a loving manner. We pray for those who need to respond this morning. We pray your hand be on this time. In Jesus' name.